Hey, welcome to episode 63 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and we are back again already. Unbelievable. Well, like I said a couple episodes ago, this offseason apparently is not going to really have any downtime because there just continues to be a whole bunch of things to discuss. I'm going to lead off this episode with a little bit different of a topic. Apparently, people have a real issue with anyone who is successful on their own and does not have to be mentored, babysitted, constantly questioned, micromanagement, which is really extremely odd, to say the least. There is no need to add former players, veteran coaches to the coaching staff of the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know why there is still this need. Oh, well, you know, Martin St. Louis hasn't been a head coach really that long. He needs a veteran presence to bounce things off of. Not really. He has done a phenomenal job as coach, just like Kent Hughes has done as the general manager, and Jeff Gordon has done as vice president of operations. What is with the obsession parental behavior? Now, could a Steve Shutt be beneficial as a offensive addition to the coaching staff? Sure. Could Larry Robinson be beneficial as a defensive advisor to the Montreal Canadiens. Sure. I mean, they have tremendous experience. They have tremendous success. They are multi-time champions. They're phenomenal players. But those two that I mentioned have also been around for a long time. They've seen the game progress through multiple decades and transitions. I don't have anything against current players. I don't. You know, there's been some current players, as Martin St. Louis is a former player, but he had some time between when he retired. Now, I'm sure Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Mark Messier, Ray Bork, I could keep going on. I'm sure the day after they all retired would be great additions to any coaching staff, administration, or anything else. I'm not saying former players aren't. But there just is this overwhelming, oh, we're not sure yet. They might need some more. No, they're good. Martin St. Louis is a fantastic head coach, is the absolute right coach at the right time, couldn't be a better coach selected for the organization at this time and point during the remake of the team, which we'll get to that in a minute, and has done a phenomenal job and recognizes talent. As a matter of fact, has had the perfect amount of time between when he retired and became a head coach in the National Hockey League because it's still current relevant in the current NHL and format and styles and can relate to players phenomenally well. Stefan Robidas was highly questioned and doubted when selected as a defensive coordinator. Montreal's defense looked better last year than it has in years. What is with the obsession of having to have a veteran coach? It's insulting to people that have the abilities to succeed quickly, be constantly held back and questioned by people. It's like, oh, I don't know if that's possible. I mean, I couldn't do that or nobody else has, so it's not possible to do. That kind of thinking destroys every type of business, every type of success that's in society. It's a doomsday is basically what I call it. It's people that just cannot think outside the box, can't imagine anything that's radically different from what's done or that 
they didn't perceive or disagree with, well, there's no way that can be successful. That's just not possible. I totally disagree with that. But the overbearing needs to stop. And not to mention the fact, who would want to be part of any organization, sports team, corporate, whatever it is, if they don't let you grow, spread your wings, use your abilities, learn, and continue moving forward? Why would anybody want to be a part of an organization who doesn't let people do that. That is just nuts. Now, regarding former players, where would a former player be really helpful? Let's take two different people. Carey Price, Paul Byron. Carey Price technically is still on an NHL roster, though unfortunately injuries have ended his career. He would make a phenomenal goaltending coach, and not necessarily the goaltending head coach, a development coach. He would be an incredible addition to a scouting staff. He is in the game right now, real time, knows what it takes, has certainly played an amazing amount of games, been through a tremendous amount throughout his career that he could share with in a developmental position and would know what to look for from durability to skill set to everything else required to play in the National Hockey. He would be great in those positions. Paul Byron, unfortunately again, yet another player whose career was ended by injury. His contract is come to an end. Rumor has it he's soon to announce his retirement. He would be a great administration addition. Who knows? Maybe he could be put in an assistant general manager position. Or he could be a pro scout. Or he could be an amateur scout. He has abilities that would flourish in those areas. But would you put him on the coaching staff? Would you put Carey Price on the coaching staff? I don't think it's fair to the players still playing, and I don't think it's fair to those players to put them in that situation. It's not a winning scenario. It creates unnecessary stress, friction, and expectations. Speaking of Carey Price, something that has started recently already, and the guy isn't even officially retired yet. Oh, we got to retire Carey Price's number. Why? And this is going to be an interesting topic because it all depends, and every answer varies based on the criteria that person believes, or the committee believes, is the difference-making or requirement necessary to be in the Hall of Fame or have your number retired. Now, Carey Price has played more games than any other goaltender in Montreal history. When you think of the goaltenders Montreal have had, George Vezina, George Hainsworth, Bill Duran, Jacques Plante, Ken Dryden, Patrick Waugh, Carey Price, that's an amazing talent list. That's incredible. There is no other organization in the league that even comes close to the Hall of Fame list of goaltenders that the Montreal Canadiens have had. And the question is, if you look at Carey Price's numbers, let's begin with and acknowledge, yes, he's won more games than any other goaltender. Yes, he won seven awards, including the Hart MVP trophy in the 2014 season. Not to be overlooked is he has played on relatively mediocre at best defensive groups in front of him throughout his career. So he even gives more credit to the goals against average and the number of games that he's played in and the fact that he actually lasted that long before, unfortunately, getting injured by playing in front of defenses that bad. However, there's a lot of people that will sit there and go, well, if you you don't win the championship of your sport, you're not Hall of Fame worthy. I'm not agreeing with that. I'm just stating that is a comment made in a belief by a lot of people. And not to be left out in Carey Price's accomplishments, let's also keep in mind we're talking about a player along with Shea Weber who gave their heart and souls that got Montreal to where they ended up in the Stanley Cup playoffs and finals in 2021. Without those two players, there was no way Montreal 
Montreal would have gotten there. I mean, yes, the team came together at the right time. Yes, Luke Richardson brought them tighter together and more cohesive than any other coach that season. But still, those two players were largely and solely responsible for Montreal's Stanley Cup run that year. But are those accomplishments enough in Montreal? In any other organization, let's be serious, what Carey Price did in a career would be one of the greatest players to ever play for that organization. And I'm not saying that he's not in Montreal, but also let's realize here for a moment that Montreal has more history, more heritage, more all-star players, more of the league's best players to ever play the game than any other organization even can come close to. If you look at the Hall of Fame list, the people in the record books, the championship dynasties of the 70s, 60s and before those rosters were just stacked with a level of talent and a kind of player that has never donned any other team with the probably sole exception one could argue about the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Islanders dynasties where they probably had teams just for those years that replicated what Montreal was used to having all the time and I say it that way because Gary Price unfortunately will have all the career accomplishments that he's had all the success that he's had but will not be a championship goaltender. I should reword that and say is not and will not have won the Stanley Cup. In a lot of people's minds, if you don't win the Stanley Cup, you're not one of the best. And again, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm saying that is a measuring stick or is measuring criteria that a lot of people apply. And if you haven't got one, you don't get in. And there's players coming that will have that same argument in their case. Shea Weber, Joe Thornton, many others. Great careers. Statistically, they did it, but they'll retire without Stanley Cups. And in some people's mind, without that, you don't get in. Now, another argument that can be made, we haven't even talked about this yet, is Carey Price, obviously, is not the only player to ever wear a third. There's room for arguments of wouldn't that number have already been retired worn by Mark Napier, who was part of those Stanley Cup champions? It's going to be interesting to see the traction that Carey Price's jersey number and the retirement of it makes. It'll be interesting to see if it's just individual fans currently that have seen him and watched him think that he is the best that they've ever seen, which of their time he is, and where this will actually go. Not to mention the fact Montreal has already retired a lot of jersey numbers. Eventually, you might start seeing three digits player numbers there because they've got a whole list of retired numbers more so than most i'm sure to this point there are people sitting there, how could you think carrie price is the best goaltender the montreal canadians ever had well let's look at some of those players for a second george vezina the man who the trophy of the best goaltender is named after won the stanley cup twice george hainsworth had one season with 22 shutouts in the 44 games that he played so that's 50 percent of the games he played in that year were shutouts had a point nine two goals against had a career average of 1.93 by the way won six Vezina trophies and two Stanley Cups Bill Dernan six Vezina trophies two Stanley Cups Jacques Plante seven Vezina trophies a heart trophy was the inventor of the mask and why goaltenders today have a mask and oh by the way won six Stanley Cups Ken Dryden won a Conn Smythe trophy won a Calder Memorial trophy won five Vezina trophies won six Stanley Cups in an eight-year career career. 
Think about that for a second. I'm not saying Carey Price isn't a good goaltender. That's some stiff competition right there. That's a list that you are very honored to be a part of if you make it on that list and are compared to those guys because there is nobody else in the league that's ever done what they've done. That is an incredible feat of accomplishment. Now, some people will sit there and go, well, wait, hold on. You forgot Patrick Waugh. I didn't forget about him. He had an incredible career. He won two Stanley Cups with the Montreal Canadiens. He won two more with the Colorado Avalanche. My problem is probably on the personal side of things by not adding him to that list because I still, to this day, have an issue with the way he behaved in his departure of the organization. Yes, Mario Trombley should have never left him in for nine goals. Yes, I think Mario Trombley was equally as arrogant and at fault. I have no question about that. I don't doubt that for a minute. But I have a problem with any athlete that considers themselves to be more important than the organization they play for because that just isn't possible. Doesn't work that way. It was just an unacceptable, intolerable behavior that he put on a display. I wouldn't have even had a problem if he just walked back to the president of the team at that point, which was Ronald Corey, or the next day and said, nope, after that, I'm out of here. I want out. But the arrogance displayed and the way he went about it just left a really bad taste in my mouth. That being said, still has nothing and no ability to take away his accomplishments. The man did win four Stanley Cups. The man was a good goaltender. Can't take that away from him. I just don't, in the class of the other ones, put him in that same class. Uh, On the side of class, professionalism, integrity, there's no way I'm going to confuse Patrick Watt with Jean Beliveau or any of those goaltenders. He did not exhibit that level of integrity and class, in my opinion. And it's just my opinion. Nothing more than that. Doesn't have to be agreed with, disagreed with, fall on that issue, wherever side you want to fall on, doesn't matter. That's just my perspective. Now, let's move on to player transaction news and trades. Like I said, the summer is not slowing down. There's something happening all the time still. And finally, for all those people that have been waiting for it, Eric Carlson has been traded. And it was a three-way trade that involved the Pittsburgh Penguins, the San Jose Sharks and the Montreal Canadiens. And at first, I was trying to figure out why is Montreal even involved in this? Then I was thinking, oh, well, because they have cap space, perhaps they were able to make some things happen and were able to benefit from that. And that's why they got involved. A major accomplishment on Kent Hughes's side of the discussion in being involved in this trade was that he was able to move forwards Mike Hoffman and Rem Picklick. Now, Rem Picklick has never been included in the conversations of how bad Mike Hoffman is and has got to go. Joel Armia, Jonathan Drouin, and things like that. But still, unfortunately, he was a lost player on the roster that really has never regained a spot to have on it. He at best would have been a fill-in, and he's better than that. He deserves to be in games on a regular basis in a defined role, which I think disappeared for him in Montreal, honestly. Not only did Ken Hughes get rid of those two contracts, which reduces the 16 forwards that they currently have on the roster, which is four too many, and also picked up a second round pick in the 2025 draft and was able to add some depth in Casey DeSmith in goal. So now if Montreal has an injury, hopefully they won't, but if the injury continues in the position of goal, Jake Allen has missed considerable time the last couple of seasons. There were times that Sam Montembeau needed hand surgery, but didn't go to get it as soon as he could have because Montreal was shorthanded. Finally, Montreal will not have to call up a young kid that still needs to be in the AHL, that still needs to develop, especially in the position of goal, and they'll have some depth in Casey 
to Smith. So Montreal did a phenomenal job, and to me, came out the winners in that trade by far. I think they worked out the trade and got more than the other two teams involved did. Even in the fact that Pittsburgh now has Eric Carlson, it remains to be seen players mesh differently with different players. Yes, there is Evgeny Malkin, Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and others. How can you not mesh with those guys? Well, those guys are also used to getting the most ice time. So we'll see how Letang and Carlson mesh on the ice. We'll, we'll see who gets more power play time. And maybe it's a safeguard for Pittsburgh because Chris Letang, unfortunately, has had some really serious health issues at a very young age, even though he's in his 30s. To have the issues he's had in the last couple of years is not good. And I truly wish Chris Letang the best regarding his health moving forward. He has suffered through some things that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Now, of course, the biggest piece of news in that trade with Pittsburgh, San Jose, and Montreal is that Montreal also got back defenseman Jeff Petrie, which is ironic to think about now that they got back the player that they traded for Mike Matheson. So now in reality, in the end, Montreal reacquires Jeff Petrie, still has Mike Matheson, which only ended up costing them Ryan Paling, who's not even in Pittsburgh anymore. He's in Philadelphia. That is just an incredible trade. I mean, nobody would have said that was even possible. That being said, I don't think Jeff Petrie is going to play another game for the Montreal Canadiens. If he was to still be around when the NHL season starts next year, I would be stunned. I just don't see it. He didn't necessarily leave in a good way. His wife certainly did not make any point of any kind of love for the city, although they loved being in Montreal up to the pandemic. I think the separation of family restrictions placed on everybody just ate away and dissolved all of that love they might have had for Montreal. Julia's wife made no attempt to hide her displeasure of the Canadian government's implementing of restrictive policies during COVID-19. So I don't foresee them coming back. Weirder things have happened, but I'm just not seeing that possibility at all. Now, the great thing in the way they got Jeff Petrie back was Pittsburgh decided to eat 20 of the contract, which makes him a much easier asset to trade. It's a lot easier trading him at $4.6 million than it is at $6.25 at 35 years of age. He can help a playoff team. He can help a team that's on the edge of doing something, meaning deep into the playoffs and a legitimate cup-winning team. In Montreal, not really. I really don't see how he can be advantageous in any way, shape, or form to the younger players from a development standpoint or in taking up a roster spot that they desperately need four more younger players coming through the prospect talent pool. Now, one additional asset that I have failed to mention to this point is Nathan Laguerre. Montreal picks up another 22-year-old forward. Now, in this case, Laguerre, who was a third-round pick by the Penguins in 2019, I don't foresee him amounting to much more than a depth player at best. Maybe he's the new fourth-line right winger, but unless something changes for him, his junior career has not been anywhere close to being reproduced in the NHL. It just hasn't happened. Whether he got lost Austin, Pittsburgh, whatever the reason, the energy, the opportunity has not seemed to follow his game to a National Hockey League level. But if nothing else, they've got a 22-year-old kid that can play in Laval and maybe somebody that can surprise and be rejuvenated or 
you know, re-energized by development people within the Canadians organization. So Montreal got a lot in return for being involved in that trade. And arguably it could be said that Montreal won that trade because yes, Pittsburgh got Eric Carlson at his age. How many more years can he do what he did this year? Statistically, I don't know. Maybe he can go another five years. Who knows? But he's an expensive asset that they just picked up. And that clearly marks the direction the organization is currently in regarding the new ownership of, Hey, let's put everything on the ice best package forward, give Sidney Crosby of Genny Malkin and Chris Letang one more shot and see if we can win another cup. I wish them the best. I hope they do. I hope they got one more Stanley Cup champion in them. I really do. As for the San Jose Sharks, I think the biggest thing this gave them was cap room. I don't think this trade netted them anywhere near what it would have in, at a previous time. I think Montreal and San Jose made the same mistakes regarding Eric Carlson and Joel Edmondson. I think they would have gotten far more for those players near the trade deadline or previous to it last season. I think they both waited too long in those trades and got much less in return than they were expecting. But San Jose did win big from the standpoint of moving the majority of Eric Carlson's contract and impact on the team and the cap space it was eating up. But there is no way Petrie should be on the team forcing any one of the younger players in Gooley, Jackye, Harris, or Kovacevic to be sent down. Those players earned their roster spots. Sending them back to Laval, I think, would be catastrophic to their career. And I'm not saying Laval couldn't be a development or learning environment for one of them or any of them to pick up anything, but they're beyond that. And they've earned the opportunity to be in Montreal. They all have very good skills that the organization has needed for a long time. Every one of them is different as to what they bring to the game. Every one of them are very important to the NHL roster. And Mike Matheson had a career year last year, and I think he's got a couple of those years in him or even more moving forward because he has finally found an established role and doesn't feel like he's an inferior player or not good enough to be with anybody else. He is being put in the situation where he can win and succeed. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Like I said, I fully expect Petrie to be traded. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the six starting positions on the defense were literally Gooley, Jackye, Harrison on the left, Savard, Kovacevic, and Matheson on the right. Or maybe put Harris on the right and Matheson on the left. But I honestly think Chris Weidman's days are winding down very quickly. Petrie, I don't think he's going to make the roster. I think he's going to get traded. And I think the younger kid that might end up back in Lavelle, which will not make this kid happy at all, is Justin Barron. Out of the four quote-unquote 22-year-old or younger defensemen, I think he's got the greatest reason and need to remain in Lavelle out of the four. He has shown the least. His game has had flashes of brilliance, but still has inconsistencies to it. That's not going to make him happy because he was very unhappy last year after training camp getting sent down, and it took him a while to let that frustration go. Back to Casey DeSmith. We'll see what that means for Jake Allen. Could simply be depth, could be insurance. Could be there's some discussion on Jake Allen. It seems right now, it's an odd thing to say, but right now, every Montreal goaltender seems up for grab right now. There's four goaltenders that could be traded right now. Could be Sam Montembeau, could be Jake Allen, 
Could be Casey DeSmith or Caden Primo. Any combination or a couple of those guys. That seems like there's a discussion behind the scenes that seems to be floating around out there that any Montreal goaltender right now is up for grabs, which is going to be interesting because Sam Montebeau goes into unrestricted free agency at the end of this season unless there's a new contract, which we'll get to that here coming up. But regarding those four goaltenders that I mentioned, I would not be surprised in the least if Caden Primo and Jake Allen are traded. Or if Casey DeSmith is not happy about having been traded to Montreal, Caden Primo and Casey DeSmith. It would not surprise me at all to see those two or a combination of those two go at all. Contrary to a lot of concerns and beliefs as to whether or not Montreal has anybody quote-unquote near or ready to go moving into the future in goal, I still say and remain steadfast that Jakob Dabish is Montreal's best goaltending prospect, including the three goaltenders that they drafted in the 2023 draft. And I think several of those goaltenders, especially Jacob Fowler and the kid from Russia, I think have some really good opportunities in front of them. But I think Jakob Dabish is ahead of every one of those guys right now. Well, that wraps up episode 63. I am your host, Steven Stiles. I thank you again for tuning in and I will be back with episode 64 in what will seem like a blink of an eye as news just keeps pouring in and the summer has been anything but bored. Have a great week.